Uh, let's remember that our Ventura family will be joining us for this sermon. Let's give them lots of love. Rally Ventura. And let's open up in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We're going to pick up right where you guys left off last week with Pastor Ryan. We're going to be looking at verses 23 through 27. The title of this message is The Furious Storm. The Furious Storm. Familiar text, perhaps. I'm going to be reading and teaching from the NIV this week, uh, just because I felt like it. I got a new NIV Bible, and it smells really good. So I wanted to just be with it. You know, you know when you get a new car and it has that new car smell, how awesome it is? New Bible smells even better if you get a really good one. So I just wanted to be with it, so I brought it to the pulpit. So NIV today. Okay, starting in verse 23 of Matthew 8. It says, Then Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Then the disciples went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, I, I feel really thankful this morning for um, the privilege of sharing your word of teaching and preaching with this church family that I love so much. I feel really privileged to stand in this place. I know it's by grace. I thank you for it. Pray that you, by your spirit, would help me to be faithful to your word and who you are and what you're doing and what you want to do in our church. And we pray together that we as a church, by grace and with the help of the Holy Spirit, would be faithful to what you're calling us to and to who Jesus is. And we say together in consonance with this text that, Jesus, you are good and you're bigger than and more powerful than all the storms that we encounter in our lives. And we know as we sit together, as we go through life together as a family, that it doesn't always feel that way. But you are. You're bigger than the winds and the waves. Give us faith and cause your holy word by your Holy Spirit to change the way that we live and think and act for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, following Jesus isn't safe. Following Jesus isn't safe. Did you think that it would be? And if so, who told you that? Because this text makes it pretty clear that following Jesus isn't safe. I mean, the disciples followed Jesus. It says in verse 23, Jesus got in the boat. His disciples followed him. And he led them directly into a furious storm. How surprising and how unfair 
Surprising because earlier in the chapter, the disciples would witness firsthand in amazement as Jesus reached out and touched a leper and healed him. And they witnessed firsthand in amazement as Jesus just said the word and the paralyzed servant was healed. They would witness even Jesus healing a mother-in-law with a fever. So with such power, with such authority, how could a person be any safer than when following him? How surprising. And how unfair. Because in the verses just before this, we saw that there were some who weren't willing to follow Jesus because of what it might cost them or the implications of what it might mean. They were overly concerned with lesser things. They weren't comfortable with his homelessness or with what it might mean for their family or their inheritance. But the disciples did follow Jesus. Even when others weren't willing to, they themselves were willing to follow Jesus. And surely they may have thought there would be some reward for that, for their following when others wanted, for their commitment, for their willingness, for their faith. And there was a reward. Jesus led them directly into a furious storm. Now, there are storms in life, and there are storms in life. Some are just storms. Some are God storms. And storms were normal on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee in northern Israel sits 700 feet below sea level. And it's just a few miles down from Mount Hermon, which is 9,200 feet above sea level. So there's some pretty turbulent weather patterns that happen there on occasion. There's great winds and there's storms. And these guys were fishermen and had been fishermen all their lives. And they knew that storms were a regular occurrence. And they had encountered a lot of storms. And surely they knew all the signs. They knew what it looked like. They knew what the horizon and the sky and what it would feel like when a storm was coming. And surely they knew, having been fishermen all their life, just what to do in a storm. They knew how to turn the bow into the waves so as to keep the waves from washing across the boat as it's doing here. They knew when to throw anchor, when to pull anchor. They knew when to drop the sails. They knew when to drag weight. They they knew what to do. Certainly they had been in many storms. But this one, this furious storm, had there been no signs? And had they exhausted all that they knew knew to do? Clearly, they were indeed caught unaware. And clearly, they had come to the end of their ability. For they say to Jesus, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. This was no ordinary storm. And you know, Jesus, he's got a funny perspective on storms. Jesus has a funny way of looking at storms. And first of all, he always seems to get the disciples in the boat just in time for the storm. Doesn't only occur here in Matthew 8 and Matthew 14. We'll see the same thing again. He'll get the disciples in the boat and send them right out into the storm. Jesus had a funny perspective on storms. 
I mean, in this one, he's sleeping in the boat while the waves are coming over the boat. In the next storm, he's walking on the water in the midst of the turbulent waves. Clearly, he sees and deals with and perceives storms differently than we do. He seems to be in complete control in the midst of the storm. After all, don't don't miss the other miracle in the text. The only miracle in the text is not that Jesus told the winds and the waves to be still and it went completely calm. Don't miss the miracle of the fact that in the midst of this storm, he's asleep in the boat. Jesus had a funny way of viewing storms. I find in the storms of my life, I'm, I'm not very much like Jesus. I'm, I'm very much more like the disciples. I think that we view storms more like the disciples. We see them as something to be very afraid of. They were very afraid. Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And in both of these storms that Jesus sends the disciples into, he's wanting them to look at, he's wanting to confront their fear. First thing he does to them is says to them, why are you so afraid? In Matthew 14, he'll say to them, don't be afraid. What a silly thing to say. What a silly thing to ask. Why are you so afraid? Why are we afraid? Because we find ourselves in the middle of this furious storm. And the wind is too strong and the waves are too great and the power is beyond what we, with our resources and our ability and our experience and our strength, are able to handle. Why are we afraid? Because we think we're going to drown. The power of the storm is far beyond what we're able to deal with. And you know, sometimes life feels that way. Sometimes life feels that way. We feel like the disciples in the storm, confused in the tumult and in the turbulence of it all, feeling lost in the rolling circumstances, feeling overwhelmed as though we're going under and might drown in the weight of it, feeling afraid. We know that. Sometimes life is like that. All of humanity knows that. That's true for all of humanity. Everyone that walks on this earth will experience that feeling. That's not only true for you or for me. That's true for all of humanity. But as Jesus' followers, we often think differently in the midst of a storm than the rest of humanity. We often wonder in the midst of the storm, does God really care? It's an honest question. Mark tells us in his parallel account of this, the disciples actually asked that question this night. Mark gives us that detail that when they woke up, Jesus said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
We all have storms, but I think as Jesus followers, when the big storms come along in life, at some point we wonder and we ask that question along with the disciples, Jesus, Lord, do you not care about this situation? And I don't think the question for the disciples, nor do I think the question for us, was one of whether or not Jesus was able to deal with the circumstances. I don't think that was a question they'd seen him touch and heal a leper. I don't think the question for us is whether or not Jesus is powerful enough or great enough or bigger than or able to do something about our circumstances. I think the question for them and the question for us often is, is he willing to do something? I'm sure he's able, but does he care? And if he does care, I think for many of us in this room who are familiar with Scripture and truth, I, I think there's a sense that he does. If he does care, then it begs the question, why the furious storm? If he does care, then why this furious storm in my life? The surprising, unfair unrelenting, furious storm. Allow me to say something hard in endeavoring to answer that question. If he does care, why this storm? What if the furious storm is the very proof of God's love and care for you? What did the disciples get in the boat with Jesus and going in the storm was a very proof of his love and his care for them. Remember, I said that Jesus had a funny way of looking at storms. He slept in them. He walked on them as if he were in complete control of them. What if he is? What if he really is in complete control? And what if, within the bounds of God's complete control, we can call it his sovereignty or his dominion, what if within the bounds of God's sovereignty, his complete control, he does things because of his great love for us that do not make sense to us, nor could we ever understand? What if within his sovereignty, because of his great love, God does things for our good that we simply cannot understand the logic of. What if we were to find, like the disciples would find, that Jesus leads us into storms not to sink our ships, but to settle our souls? What if Jesus, in leading them into the storm, was leading them into something good? And that's why he wondered why they were so afraid. Peter was in the boat that day. 
And Peter would be in the boat later on in Matthew 14 when Jesus would lead them, send them into another storm. And through his time following Jesus, Peter would develop a storm theology. A storm theology. You won't find it in any theology books, but it's real. Peter would develop a theology and understanding of storms. He would write about it in his first epistle. And it reads like this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. Now here's storm theology. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Storm theology begins with the dominion or the sovereignty of God. No matter the cause of the storm, you know, some storms are just storms. Some storms we make, don't we? Some storms are our storms. Some storms have the devil behind them, as Peter alludes to here. Other storms are God's storms. No, no matter the source of the storm, God has dominion and is sovereign over it. He finishes by saying, to him be the dominion forever and ever. The first step in storm theology is God is in control. So in verse 10, Peter explains this by saying, and after you have suffered a little while. Now, how long is a little while? Too long. When you're suffering, a little while is too long. And it always feels like God is too late. But God is sovereign. What we want that to say is to God be the dominion forever and ever, and he will never let you suffer. That's what we want it to say. That is my kind of storm theology. It doesn't say that. And after he has let you suffer, he's sovereign, for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Notice that our calling is to eternal glory. The story doesn't end in the Sea of Galilee. God is faithful to finish the work that he's begun in us. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's called us to glory. He's going to get us to glory. Who has called us to eternal glory in Christ will himself, here's what God's going to do after we've suffered a little while, 
will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Confirm, restore, strengthen, and establish you. What if God, in his great love for us, wants to do some really good things in our lives? What if those things involve a work of restoration? What if they involve the work of confirming, strengthening, and establishing us in our faith in Christ? And what if that work is accomplished through storms? We want great work to be accomplished without resistance. That isn't how work works. What if you were a weightlifter and you lifted weights and they didn't weigh anything? (laughs) Then it would be silly to be a weightlifter because they wouldn't do anything. There's only a work that is accomplished in lifting because there's a resistance that is there. And therein is found the strengthening, the establishing, confirming, even the restoring. What if there's good work that God wants to do in us and that work necessitates a furious storm now and again? Storms that he is in complete control of, more powerful than, and in which he is present with us. But storms nonetheless. But perhaps if we knew, as the disciples would learn, that Jesus was truly in complete control, sovereign and dominion, that he was more powerful than any furious storm. Say the word and the winds and the waves would cease. And that he was truly present with us in hard things. Maybe it would change the way that we saw storms. Maybe fear, as it was for the disciples, wouldn't be our go-to. I find that as I think upon these things and I look at the text, it begins to help me change the question of God. From, do you care? Don't you care? To, okay, God, what is it you want to do in this storm? It's an altogether different question. I mean, if he's truly in control of, more powerful than, and present with us in good, the question becomes, okay, what then good thing are you wanting to do in me, through me, with me, around me, in the midst of this furious storm? Notice that Jesus deals with the disciples before he deals with the storm. Right? Did you notice that? Look in verse... 25, the disciples went and woke Jesus up saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. Notice that Jesus dealt with the disciples before he dealt with their circumstances. This tells us a couple things. This tells us, number one, which one is more difficult to deal with? Let's tackle the bigger problem first the heart of my followers. The wind and the waves, I'm going to handle those. That's, that's easy. 
but our fearful hearts? tells us which is more difficult to deal with. It also tells us which one Jesus cares more about. He cares deeply about how we feel, what we're experiencing, how we're processing our fears in the midst of the furious storm. He cares deeply. He was woken out of sleep, and the first thing he did was talk to and deal with his disciples. And then in verse 27, it says, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The disciples would be in other storms with Jesus and they would have other storms in their lives. But I'm guessing that the disciples would begin to see storms differently after this event because now they saw Jesus differently. They had seen power in the healing of the leper and the centurion slave and Peter's mother-in-law. They had heard authoritative teaching, but this was an altogether different experience. This was for their scripture-formed Hebrew minds. Certainly this event was connecting some dots for them, some real theological dots for them. Remember that Matthew is revealing Jesus as the Messiah King, the Son of God, God in the flesh. And that's revealed in what he did and what he said. And what we find is that Jesus did things in the Gospels that only God could do. Throughout ancient cultures, water, bodies of water, the movement of water, flow of water, the depth of water, was always thought in ancient cultures of something to be feared. Something of overwhelming power who could stop the waves and the floods and the tides and the movement. Water was for all ancient cultures that deep, dark, mysterious, threatening place. That's why we have the imagery in Revelation 13 when the Antichrist, this beast, comes on the scene. He comes out of the sea. That's the imagery there. Water was this thing, this place of overwhelming force that threatened. And so then what we see in Scripture is God continually demonstrating his dominion over water and the imagery associated with it for the good of his people these dots would be connected in their scripture-formed Hebrew minds as Jesus calmed the winds and the waves. Certainly, they would have thought about creation when everything was void and formless, but there was water. We're told that the Spirit of God hovered over the void, over the water. He wasn't absent. He brought light to it. He put land in it. And then we're told in the creation account that God separated the waters. Chose to show that he's the creator and the one who has dominion. He would separate the waters, send some up and send some down. We're told throughout scripture that we know that God is God because he sets boundaries for water. We know that God is God because he's the one who says to the sea, thus far you can go and no more. 
his dominion over water. So that when his people, Israel, were faced with a large body of water, the Red Sea, and a tenacious enemy in pursuit of them, the Egyptians and Pharaoh and his armies, God parted the Red Sea and they went through the waters to safety. That's why when God's people were facing another torrent of water, the Jordan River, and it separated them from the promised land, God caused the waters to stand up in place and they went through into the promises of God. We read from the psalmist, the floods have risen up, O Lord. The floods have roared like thunder. The floods have lifted their pounding waves. But mightier than the violent raging of the seas, mightier than the breakers on the shore, the Lord above is mightier than these. And again, the psalmist would say, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still, so that the waves and the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. Don't you think in the minds of the disciples, when they see Jesus hush the winds and the waves, that this imagery was there? And the psalmist continues, You faithfully answer our prayers with awesome deeds, O God, our Savior. You are the hope of everyone on earth, even those who sail on distant seas. Why does it say even those who sail on distant seas? Because that was the place of terror. Those were the far reaches of the unknown, the threatening, mysterious deep. You formed the mountains by your power and armed yourself with mighty strength. Verse 7, you quieted the raging oceans with their pounding waves and silenced the shouting of the nations. Those who live at the ends of the earth stand in awe of your wonders. From where the sun rises to where it sets, you inspire shouts of joy. And again, the psalmist would say, O Lord of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. You rule the oceans. You subdue their storm-tossed waves. You even crushed the big sea monster. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. And all of this biblical understanding would stand behind the disciples' experience as they watched Jesus do what only God could do. And in the same way, we look forward to the day when Jesus will come again and do what God has always done, display his dominion over that which threatens humanity, understood metaphorically in Scripture as the sea. When Christ returns and renews all things, undoes all that has gone wrong, when he himself kills death, We have this imagery from the book of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And look, and look, and there is no longer any sea. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that there won't be surf. It doesn't mean that. We know that because God is good. Can I get an amen? It does mean that this ancient imagery 
of an overwhelming power that threatened has been handled by Christ. These dots are being connected for the disciples. When Jesus did what only God could do, these dots begin to connect for us in the furious storms that we encounter. And perhaps the best that we can say is that God is with us. In our little boats, God is with us. In the furious storm, God is with us. When it feels as though we will sink and drown in the pain, God is with us. For when they ask the question, who is this man? We know the answer. He is Emmanuel. God with us. And maybe for the disciples, that would become enough. For that's what God always said to his people. 700 years before, through the prophet Isaiah, God said this. Do not fear, because I'm with you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Maybe what we need to learn as Jesus followers who encounter furious storms is that that's enough. God is with us. I don't know that we could know much more. What is he doing in that storm? What is he up to? What? We don't always know, do we? But what we do know is that he is with us in our little boats, in our big storms, when it feels as though we are going under. Christ is with us. So we believe, after all, that he does care. And that even the storms are somehow an expression of his care. It's not as though Jesus never experienced any storms. For Jesus experienced the most furious, unrelenting storm of all. Jesus took the storm of the wrath of God for the sins of the world. Jesus endured the unrelenting wind of the punishment that was due to us on the cross in our place. Jesus went under the ways of our sin and became sin himself, the innocent one in our place that we might be made the righteousness of God. It's not as though Jesus never experienced any storms. He faced the storm of all storms for us. Which helps me to remember in the storms of my life, God really does love me. And he really does care. For if he gave his son on the cross for me, he really does love you. He really does care. 
And in times of doubt, sometimes the best thing that we can do when everything else is unknown is look to the one thing that is known. Christ loves me and gave himself for me that I might have the forgiveness of sins and new life. And we need to keep that. The storm of the cross, we need to keep that in front of us in our own storms. What storms are you facing? Maybe for some of you right now, it's clear skies, smooth sailing, no storms. Praise God. Enjoy it. Don't go storm searching. Don't go looking for... What a stupid thing. Storm hunters, no. (laughs) Enjoy clear days, smooth water, and gentle breezes. For others of us, there are storms in our midst. And I think today, one of the best things you could do is ask this question. In the storm that I'm enduring, where is Jesus? For the promise that we believe is that he is with us. Maybe he's asleep in the boat somewhere. Maybe he's walking on the circumstances that so threaten you. He's there. Sometimes we need to, for a little perspective though, ask the question, where is Christ in the midst of this? He's there. He's always there. He opens up the door of hope in the valley of trouble. And then... Humbly, and I say this humbly because I don't always get there. Then we want to ask the question, since Jesus is with us and he has dominion. And he could in an instant change the circumstances and still the storm. If he hasn't, then we have to somehow by grace get to the question, okay, Jesus, and what are you doing in this storm? With me. I might not understand the big picture. We seldom do in the biggest storms. But in what ways, through this storm, God, are you looking to yourself, restore me, strengthen me, confirm and establish me in your love and in my faith in you? To begin to ask that question. Maybe you, like me, have been really mad at God for the furious storm that he let you experience. That's okay, I think. He has compassion on us as a father has compassion on his children. He knows that we are just dust. Maybe I'm finding when we're mad at God, it's because we have such a strong belief in the power of God that he could indeed calm the winds and the waves. Maybe you're mad because in this storm, he didn't. He didn't for me. He did not. 
maybe I'm coming to realize that if I really believe that God is great enough to calm any storm and change any circumstance, to stop anything, to raise the dead, then he's probably great enough to have some purposes going on that I simply do not understand. And that's a hard, flat statement. And sometimes I find the very best I can do is just look at Jesus and say, what man is this? Not who can just calm the winds and the waves, but who loves me and gave himself for me that I might be forgiven of my sins and have new life. What man is this? He is the Lord of all, who has all dominion and loves you perfectly, whose ways are higher than our ways, and who's great enough to have purposes we will never understand. I, I find that I, I can't have it both ways. I want God to be great enough that he could fix anything, but not so great that I can't understand something. Following Jesus isn't safe. But it's good. Because he's good. He's the king. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. And your great care for us. And I think we together as a church, we, we believe that, though there's deep, deep pain in our midst. I think we believe that you are a God of love who cares infinitely for us. I think we believe that. But Lord, we would pray together. And for those among us who are suffering, we would pray for them and with them. Help our unbelief. And open our eyes to see you where we don't sense you. Help us to find you in our little boats and in our furious storms. And help us to trust you. Lord, we trust you, but help the ways that we don't trust you. I'm frustrated that you're as powerful as you are. But the storms seem to be so powerful as well. But thank you that you connect the dots for us. That on the cross you took the storm and you're coming again. And every storm ever will be done away with. We hope in the day. Give us grace to stand this day. Thank you for those in our midst who have smooth sailing right now. Bless them, God. Pray for them more smooth sailing. Easy breezes clear, beautiful water. Bless them with more. We pray for those who are in the storm that you bless them with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.